Hi, this is Ed Begley, and you're watching Pop Culture Addicts. Welcome to Pop Culture Addicts, the weekly show that brings you interviews and discussions with people in our pop culture world. You know, that means we get to talk more about movies, more music, more video games, and more. <laughs> Don't miss a week. You never know who's going to be our next guest. So, okay, addicts, are you ready for your pop culture fix? Welcome to Pop Culture Addicts. Our guest today is a Golden Globe and seven-time Emmy-nominated actor. And in my opinion, quite possibly one of the hardest working men in showbiz. I got tired reading his IMDb list, and I think you guys probably will as well, because the, the number of credits he has are typically reserved for voice actors, in my opinion. But Ed has done a, a lot of work. Uh, our guest today has been in many shows that you're very familiar with, like Saying Elsewhere, A Mighty Wind, my personal favorite, Arrested Development, Young Sheldon, and there are so, so many others. I am so proud and so pleased to welcome Ed Begley Jr. to Pop Culture Addicts. Welcome, Ed. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Kathleen, for having me on. Thank you for being here. We're very, very excited to talk to you. Yeah, me absolutely. Too. So before we talk about anything uh, in the acting world, I, I, I'm curious about your uh, a line of, of all-natural products that you've started out with, and there's a website uh, for Begley's Best. Um, now, personally, in my own home, we use a line of all natural products uh, because my daughter has an autoimmune condition. And we have found that there can be sometimes harsh reactions to some of the chemicals that are in your typical cleaning products and, and things, you know, uh, laundry products and things along those lines. So if you don't yeah. mind, oh, go ahead. Yeah, most people and I often join them out there protesting a hazardous waste site near their home. Sometimes the worst hazardous waste site they ever encountered is in their home it's under their sink right yeah there's some there is some uh, chemicals you wouldn't want to have any part of uh, right. under there for sure uh so if you don't mind tell us why you got or or how you got started with begley's best and what are some advantages to using this product line that that our listeners should be considering there's a brief history of me and natural products if you will i started as an environmentalist in 1970 when I was a broken, struggling actor. My dad has just passed away, so I didn't have Ed Begley Sr. as a meal ticket anymore to pay my rent. I just had to make do with what I made as an assistant cameraman than a struggling actor. So I didn't have a lot of money. So what I did for cleaning products, I used vinegar and water. I used baking soda instead of Comet. So I did stuff like that. And that stuff cleaned, but Tim, as you probably know, it doesn't clean as good as some of those other harsh cleansers, let's call right. them. Right. Mm -hmm. So I sought out over the years, things like seven generation and other non-toxic cleaners in my long life. And I use them, but I had a line of products myself for a while called Begley's Best. And that did very well, but I became too busy as an actor and doing speaking engagements and other things. And I was shipping it myself out of my garage. I had stuff bottles stored up to the ceiling there and all this stuff. And it just became too much for me. So I took Begley's Best and folded it up and wound up aligning myself with another company called Lab Clean, my friend Mark Cunningham. Now we have Begley's Earth Responsible Products. It's a newer line, and okay. that's doing very well on Amazon. And you can still get to it through Begley's Best. So I'm happy that you said Begley's Best. All roads lead to Rome, or in this case, Amazon. <laughs> go to Amazon. Yes. You go to Amazon, you can do Begley cleaning, or go to Google search or Yelp or Yahoo, and you go, you know, uh, Begley, uh, you know, Begley cleaning, and you come right to it. So at any rate, I started doing it and I wanted them to be clean, but I really wanted them to 
not only be non-toxic, but to clean well. And by well, I mean every bit as good as Formula 409 or Windex, those things with ammonia and harsh substances. Mm -hmm. So I right. was able to do it a bit as Begley's best, but this guy, Mark Cunningham, Mark Cunningham and Lab Clean had what they call full EPA designed for the environment certification. I did not have that with my original line of products. Oh, he okay. had the money and the wherewithal to do that. So it's third-party testing. It's fine for me to say, yeah, my Begley's best is great and it's certified. I had some certifi certification, but not as good as this guy Mark did. So now I have like about 16 or 20 SKUs SKUs being separate uh, items, of course, separate products. Mm -hmm. And there, we have a non-toxic uh, pet odor and stain remover. We have lots of soaps and other cleaning products. And again, just do a search Begley cleaning and it'll come right up. Awesome. Fantastic. Excellent. That's really cool. So I first got to be familiar with you and your work through Seventh Heaven um, when you were Dr. Hastings, but then through your reality show, Living with Ed. And I loved that show. I loved watching that. And I loved learning about the energy efficiency and the sustainability of your house. And I know that there's a couple of, I found a YouTube video tour of your house today, but I was wondering if you could tell us more about your home in terms of the design choices that you've made and what sort of impact they've had that most people would consider the, the impact that they've had on your normal life. Happy to do so. I'll give you a brief, brief history of mm -hmm. how this all progressed for me. When I started as environmentalist, it was with the first Earth Day, and I, what I wanted was a solar panels electric car. I couldn't afford anything like that. You know, I could afford, you know, vinegar and water and baking soda, <laughs> riding my bike, taking public transportation. I even did some composting in an apartment. I got a diaper pail with a lid, and then I would take it and put it near the railroad tracks, and stuff actually started to grow there. I was putting this compost, oh. and uh, I started doing stuff really on the cheap that anybody could afford. Mm -hmm. That's what I urge people to start with now. But then over the years, I saved money by doing all this cheap and easy stuff. Finally, even that same year, 1970, I bought my first electric car. When I say car, I'm being quite grand. We're talking about a golf cart with a windshield wiper and a horn. <laughs> a little tiller, <laughs> you know, had a top speed of 25 miles an hour. It's not exactly a babe magnet in the 60s and, or the 70s. So I drove those for a while, but then over time, all the stuff that I did was all on the cheap. And so I saved money, Tim. You know, I really saved some dough. Mm -hmm. Because sure. uh, I, pretty soon I had the money to buy a rain barrel to collect my rainwater. Pretty soon I had enough money to buy a little solar oven. And finally, after years of doing it, from 1970 to 1979, I bought my first house. And I started to implement that stuff in a house. Uh, and by 1985, I could afford solar hot water in my home. I could afford to invest in a wind turbine as part of a wind farm as an investment, you know, a dollar, dollar amount investment. And uh, one day, eventually 1990, I would own solar panels that uh, were not hot water panels, but electric. Mm -hmm. I started getting solar electric to run my car, you know, charge my car and run my house in 1990. And I've never looked back. I've always had uh, solar from that point forward, solar electric. But again, I want to repeat it because it's important to note. If you say to me, Ed, I can't afford a fancy electric car like you drive today for nine kilowatts of solar, I'd say, I understand neither could I when I started. You don't run up to the top of Mount Everest. You get to base camp and you get acclimated and you climb only as high as you can. Mm -hmm. And that's what I urge everybody to do, to pick that low hanging fruit first. Nowadays, it's so much easier than in 1970. You get some energy efficient bulbs, put them in. I promise you're gonna like them. They're not like the old ones. They don't flicker, they don't, there's no mercury in them. Mm -hmm. You know, they really work well. Energy saving thermostat. 
install that, put up some weather stripping around your doors and windows, like I did in 1970, ride a bike of weather and fit fitness permit, take public transportation if it's available near you, home gardening, home composting, all that stuff, that list, all super cheap, do that stuff. But now I have stuff, I now live in what they call a lead platinum home. Lead is a rating system, L-E-E-D, mm -hmm. that yes. rates your home the way you would rate miles per gallon in a car, let's say. It's the efficiency <laughs> of the home. And not just living in the home, but the building process of the home, how much trash you make, how much is recycled, right. how far did that stone come from? It came from Italy. Eh, eh, eh. Negative points for coming that far for shipping stone from right. Italy. You know, all that stuff. They look at all of it. I live in a lead platinum home. And to get the platinum status, not silver, not gold, but platinum mm -hmm. is very hard. You have to do everything. And I did it all. That's amazing. That, that's actually pretty impressive to me. So in, in a former life, I used to sell doors and hardware. Um, and one of the things that was coming up at the end of, of my tenure as a door and hardware salesman was lead certification on, on all these buildings. And we were selling wood doors and we were selling, you know, hollow metal door frames and all these things. And so for these buildings to, uh, get their lead certification, we had to, uh, procure certain types of doors for them and certain types of, uh, door frames and hardware and all these different things. Uh, and you know, things that were sourced responsibly, uh, throughout, uh, you know, their journey, what, you know, how far away they were from the, the factory and all these things kind of factored in. It was kind of interesting, um, you know, going through that process and trying to, to figure out that, okay, well, we can't use this door company because this door company is too far away and the shipping cost, uh, not the shipping cost, but the shipping distance will, will affect them negatively in their score. And so we have to use this wood door company instead. And besides this wood door company also has a higher certification process because of the amount of, of doors that they have reused over the time. It's, it was kind of interesting, you know, kind of going through all that. So for you to say that your house is, is lead platinum is, is really rather impressive, at least in my opinion. Thank you so much, Tim. I appreciate that. And I also did it for dollars and cents reasons too, because over the long run, and I hope we all are in it for the long run for our mm -hmm. kids and grandkids, in the long run, it's actually cheaper, a lot of this stuff. Because what is the cost of building a house or an office building? Well, you're going to look at your labor and materials. So that's understandable. But what about the cost over the life of that building? How long it's going to be around 80, 100 years, 150 years, maybe more? What is the cost right. of heating and cooling that building? Lighting it so people can see inside that building. What does right. that cost? Now the cost of that lead platinum home plummets in you know, comparison to a, just a normal home you would build you know, out of normal materials. So if you can afford it, and now there's many government subsidies in the state of California, mm -hmm. in many states, there's many of them that are federal subsidies. So you can do solar, you can do energy efficiency. And I, I would just urge them to make them even more aggressive because we really, you know, when you look at the long-term finances of it, it really makes sense to build right, to build with thicker walls, double pane windows and all those things. And you can't do what you can't do if you can't afford solar. So nowadays, I don't know who couldn't afford it. You don't have to buy it. You can lease it for mm -hmm. an amount of money. Right. Less, you get amount of reduction in the electric bill that is going to be, that, that amount will be a greater amount than what you're, you spend every month on the lease. So it makes sense to do these things and urge everybody to do them. Not because it's doing the right thing. You're going to save money if you do it right, in the right order. Right. Right. And to another thing I wanted to point out, I like the fact that you encourage people to start with the low hanging fruit, because I think the misconception is out there that if, if you want to do anything that is 
environmentally safe or environmentally friendly, uh, you know, that it the cost to get there is too high. And you can, like you said, you can start with just, you know, we, we went, we changed all to high efficiency light bulbs all throughout our house. We went to, uh, we changed, yeah, we changed our thermostat. Just, you know, some of the things that you had mentioned there, some of these small things, we started composting this last year. We, we started gardening, you know, this last year. Bless you, pal. Thank you. So, uh, yeah, we're, we got a long way to go to, till we're, we're, uh, you know, we're, we're helping out mother earth here, but, uh, we're trying to do our best in the, in the small steps, but love my led bulbs though. Like, I don't think I don't want to go back to anything else. I love them. They are yeah, they're great. So and now they're dimmable. I know I have them on neutron dimmers too, and they work great. You can dim them down. The old ones, you could not dim those led bulbs. They mm-hmm. didn't dim properly. And they had kind of a blue, cold, weird look. The, the mm-hmm. lighting color was not good. Now they're very warm and uh, much better light. And you, you can dim them. They're fully dimmable. So we've come a long way. And uh, I think we need to stay the course because it, it really, it makes sense in every way. I think people have been overwhelmed by the scope of the problems, climate change, ozone depletion, you know, loss of coral reefs, all that. So that's put that aside for a second because now I think people are overwhelmed by the scope and the amount of solutions. What did you say? Light bulb, thermostat, whatever, any list that you get from anyone right. that's type online, five energy efficient things, that I can do today or five cheap energy efficient mm-hmm. moves, they're all gonna be pretty much the same. You know, lighting, weather stripping, thermostat, you know, bike if you're weather and fitness permit, public transportation if it's available near, near you. It's, it's gonna be pretty much what I said. If there's other ones, they're gonna be every bit as good as the list I'm making. So yeah. do that and don't get, you know, people just kind of get frozen because they go, well, I can't afford, you know, a Tesla like Ed or nine kilowatts of solar. So I'm not going to do it. Well, do something. I didn't start that way myself. I didn't, I wasn't born at the top of Mount Everest and I worked <laughs> and climbed over years to get there. So do what you can and do something today. I right. agree that we get so overwhelmed with the the size of the problem that we feel like our solutions have to be so big. When you do yep. have to start small, you do have to start with those little chunks. You can't you can't do a big chunk. That's just not how it's going to work. And it's human nature. A lot of us in the environmental community have been guilty of it because the problems are so dire. We're going to make sure people are aware. We talk about the bad news all the time. Let me take a break from that and remind you both and your audience of the good news. In the city of LA, when I started as an environmentalist in 1970, we had horrible choking smog. That's where I got involved. From 1970 to date, we have four times the cars, millions more people, but a fraction of the smog. The smog is much less than the LA air basin throughout. Now, having said that, tell that what I just said, that good news to the people living near the ports of Long Beach and San Pedro, where there's a lot of shipping and diesel, mm-hmm. what have you, people near the fulfillment centers for Amazon and other, you know, fulfillment centers and near freeway intersections. You know, it's still bad air there. We have to help those communities. I'm not saying the job is done. It's that we're all done with air pollution. I'm not saying that at all, but look how far we've come. Ozone depletion though, I talked about that a minute ago. We banned CFCs, all the naysayers said, you'll never be able to afford an air conditioner again. You'll never be (laughs) able to afford a refrigerator. You can still buy a refrigerator and air conditioner, but that ozone hole is not growing. It's not the same size. It's been reduced because of what we did. That's global. Yeah. Yeah, that's huge. It's huge. Absolutely. So I have a a little bit of a topic shift, which, I mean, I I could talk environmental all day, but there's another thing that's, it's near and dear to both me and Tim and to you, obviously, Ed, 
it is my understanding that you're a little bit more than just a Beatles fan, having gotten Ludwig drums like Ringo, having been involved in trying to reunite the band on Saturday Night Live, and helping return George Harrison's Telecaster to his family, which I find incredible. So with the Beatles, do you think that it's possible for us to ever see a, a musical phenomenon at the same level that the Beatles were? Or do you think that we already have one? Is there already one that exists? That was a once in a lifetime thing for me. I'm 72 now and I started to hear the Beatles when I was 14 and fell in love instantly with them and their music and everything about them. It was just, it was so necessary for us in the States that something like that happened too, because Kennedy had just been shot. We were devastated with the assassination of our president mm -hmm. in November of 1963. And very soon thereafter is when I first heard the Beatles and it was, their songs were something that were like an elixir to me. They were like a, an ointment. They were like a medicine. They were like, they just relieved my pain I was in and made me feel good again as the music always did. So whenever I see one of them still, if I ever see Paul somewhere, I see Ringo, my heart just lights up. You know, when I think of the others that I knew, I knew John Lennon a bit and I knew George a bit and what an honor to help out Olivia and Danny to get that guitar back where mm -hmm. I believe it belongs with them. Uh, you know, so it's just, I feel blessed to have the contact I had with them over the years to have dinner with John and Yoko up at the Dakota with my friend, Harry Nolson. I have these gifts that have been given me by Harry Nolson and others and Eric Idle introduced me to George Harrison and Olivia, you know, I just have these friends who are such good friends who have given me these gifts of knowing these four gentlemen and their families. And I'm, I still see Ringo fairly regularly. He has a birthday thing nearly every year, not during the pandemic, he is not. Right. Prior to that, I would always go to that. And oh, I'm, I'm just blessed to have known them and to know them still. Yeah, I, I think that they, I agree with you. I think they're a once in a lifetime thing. I don't think anyone will ever I mean, it's hard to say never, but it's also hard to imagine that there will be such a, a shift in, in musical or musicalities as there was back then with the with the inception of rock and roll and the start of the British invasion and everything that was going on. It was the perfect time for a phenomenon like the Beatles to happen, and they were the perfect band to capitalize on that perfect timing. I think, too, that they they might be once in a lifetime, but they are also so multi-generational. I mean, oh, yeah, my mom, my mom was eight when President Kennedy was assassinated. So you were talking about that was not it wasn't long after that that you first heard the Beatles. So 1960s, it's 2022. And I still listen to Beatles music. And my daughter still that. listens. My daughter's three and listens to Beatles music. It's like, oh, that's so great. My daughter is now 22 when she was quite young. And my now grown kids, 43 and 44, they all from the youngest age really like the Beatles too. You know, it's very good music and will last oh, many yeah. lifetimes. It is. Yeah, my daughter wore uh, just, well, was it last, was it Friday? Wore a Beatles shirt to school. <laughs> and she has, uh, well, she has several Beatles shirts, but we're, she's she's 15. And I mean, uh, there've been, there've been a couple of times where my husband's like, you've got music playing in your head. You're just dancing randomly. What are you listening to? What's playing in your head? And I'm like, I am the Eggman. And he's like, oh, you're so weird. <laughs> you you. Yeah. It just gets exactly. stuck and it exactly. just loops and loops. <laughs> yeah, I- a uh, loop that I welcome, yes. It is, it is. So one of, one of my favorite things in beat, uh, recent 
Beatles memory has been um, uh, James Corden and his show. He had uh, Paul McCartney in for do a, the the car karaoke, and they drove around hmm. and and oh, they wow. went, and they went. It's, if you haven't seen it, I strongly encourage you to, to check it out. So they drive around, and Paul's talking to James Corden about all these different songs that they did and where the, you know, where some of the, the background from them has come and all these different things. And they show up to this pub at the end and it's an open mic karaoke. And Paul goes up on stage and starts singing it to this small group of people that are in this pub. And <laughs> I'm sitting there watching this and with my wife and I'm crying and my wife's like, why are you crying? I'm like, cause this is so awesome. People who, because here, here's Paul McCartney in, in his seventies, rocking out better in a at a karaoke bar than most guys can in their 20s up on a stage <laughs> you know you know god knows where i said and there's all i'm watching the faces of these people uh who are realizing what is happening with with paul mccartney walks in and he takes the stage and they realize what's about to happen and it's like all these people who probably wanted to see them perform at some time in their life but because of all these different reasons why they stopped performing live, you know, they never got a chance. And here they are in this small, intimate setting, getting to see Paul McCartney. It was like watching all these people's lifelong dreams come true. And that, I don't know, that just, that just hit me. And it was, it was kind of beautiful. Yeah. It's you know? a magical moment when you're touched by them and their music in a way like that. I've always felt that myself. Yeah, absolutely. And I love too, that they're, like I had said, they're so multi-generational but there's even, there's a coffee shop that I know Tim's been to near my house. It's about half an hour from my house. That is all Beatles themed. The entire so coffee shop is right. Beatles memorabilia. And right. it is so cool. And all of their coffee drinks, all of their flavors are Beatles puns and song lyrics. And it's just, it's, it's one of the coolest little coffee shops. <laughs> the hard day's night blend was pretty good just saying so uh <laughs> so uh, in, a moment ago ed you mentioned that you have all these good friends who have you know helped you do all these good things um and i think it was uh john leonard who once said that it takes a long time to grow an old friend now fortunately for us here on pop culture addicts we had the good fortune of interviewing one of your good old friends um someone you have known since college and he was kind enough to help us with a few stories uh, John Iman. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. My dear friend, we, John. I love John Iman. We've been friends yeah. a long, long time. Um, but we had such a wonderful conversation with him. And I, he is so, he is so, so kind. Sweet. He's so kind and so sweet. Uh, we just had such an enjoyable, enjoyable time with John. But I brought that up because John also helped give us a story about you that we thought we hope that you could fill us in on a little bit. <laughs> I'll do my best. All right. Excellent. Uh, he told us a story because um, he said that you guys have known each other since college, but about the age of 18 and uh, that there was a time where you uh, got in a bit of trouble for impersonating a police officer. Correct. <laughs> and that uh, uh, he went with you to the judge. Uh, uh, could you tell us a little more about that? What happened was I had uh, a nightclub act at the time. I originally started with a partner, Michael Richards, but Michael was off serving in the military at that time. And so I was on my own and my opening bit as a stand-up performer was, I had a full LAPD uniform and I would go out to an audience, large or small, and talk to the kids about drugs and some of the problems of the community. 
I'm sure you're aware of the problems we're having with different drugs in the community. And I'm here from the LAPD to talk to you about them. It would be met with much derision at first, but then when they realized it was a joke, when my dialogue got more and more absurd, it always would get big laughed. It's the 70s, so it's very much a drug culture. And sure. it was a, a winning opening bit. <laughs> so I went and played this club in Reseda. I was hanging out at the Troubadour, and I was hoping to get on and do a, a guest set there. And before I could learn that that happened, I went outside to go next door to Tana's to grab a bite to eat. And there were two sheriff's department officers there because this was LA County property at the time. It was not LA city. It's now called West Hollywood. It's a city, separate city. But it was, okay. and the, so these sheriff's department guys went, they saw a guy in an LAPD uniform and they came up to me. They thought, they said, are you in pursuit? What? Are you in pursuit? Because I was on their territory. I said, no, no, I'm just an actor. And they they felt embarrassed, I think, that they thought I was real LAPD uniform because it was a real uniform. But I wasn't representing myself as a cop. I wasn't going up and saying, give me your drugs. They're under arrest. Right. So that maybe <laughs> would have been a good idea back then. But I didn't. Yeah, I didn't do that. I was just going into a restaurant from the Troubadour two doors down. And they took me in for impersonating an officer. <laughs> So after spending the weekend in county jail, because there was no ATMs back then, and I didn't know anybody that had $500. I just didn't know anybody that had 500 bucks. And so it was a serious crime in person at an office. I had to go in Monday, enter John Iman, who I called that night Friday, too, when I was arrested. I called from the jail cell again. I said, I'm going to go before the judge and what have you. Can you come and be with me? And he brought a change of clothes or something, I think. And I... uh, I went and the public defender said, hold on a second. Every day in the city of LA, somebody's playing a cop in a TV show or a movie. This guy's just playing a cop at a, a live venue. Why are you singling him out to arrest him? Go arrest Kent McCord and Marty Milner on Adam 12. Why, you sure. know, what do you, it was prejudicial. So the judge, of course, ruled in our favor. John was right there to support me. And then the public defense, and wait a second. They, they took his police uniform away. You got to give him the uniform back. They were very upset about that. They thought I was going to do something with it again or like <laughs> go do something bad with it, which I never did. I just part of my nightclub act. So I uh, had that uniform until just a few years ago. I gave it to Goodwill. Oh, that's funny. Oh, no, I gave it to a wardrobe department somewhere because it was a vintage unit. I didn't want anybody to use it like a Goodwill kind of thing. I gave it to a wardrobe person. I wanted to recycle it, but I... The one thing I'll say I'm the most proud of, I could still fit into it well into my 50s, into the thing that fit me in 1972. So I was very happy with that. But I gave it to a friend who was a wardrobe person, and they used it as a vintage LAPD uniform for years. That is impressive. That is impressive I, that you could still fit into it. That's. <sighs> I, I kept waiting for you to say when you said they asked you if you were in pursuit, if you were, you were going to say, uh, yeah, in pursuit of a sandwich. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> pursuit of happiness um exactly <laughs> yes i'm going for a cheeseburger exactly yeah. all right john uh ed rather we have just one final question for you okay ed and we call it our silly question it's the last question we ask any guest that comes on our show and you can answer this as serious or as silly as you'd like okay yeah all right here it is ed begley what do you want to be when you grow up i want to find even greater happiness than I've already enjoyed, and I'm being greedy, (laughs) 
because I've enjoyed much happiness with more grandchildren. I would like to have even, I have three wonderful grandchildren. I'd like to have even more. I think growing Fair up enough. to be a grandpa sounds fantastic. It's pretty it's good, I'll tell you. I got three already. It's Having kids is fantastic. Having grandkids is somehow as good, if not better. You know, my my mom and my mother-in-law both share the sentiment that if they had known how good grandkids were, they would have had them first. That's yeah. right. Skip the middle, man. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's a move as a grandparent that you learn very quickly. Here's the move right here. The move is, here, I think he needs a changing. Yes. <laughs> here, you take him. He's crying a lot. This That's one right. smells funny. <laughs> yes. Yep. Yeah, that, was, that was something I learned very quickly when I became a mother was the, hey, the baby's crying and people hand her to me. I'm like, yeah. wait, mm -hmm. I'm the one who's supposed to fix this now. Oh, right. <laughs> that was yeah, a little bit there, of a shock. <laughs> there was that. Pretty great. It is great, though. You know, Ed, we have enjoyed so much talking to you today. Where can Thank our you, viewers Kathleen. and our listeners go to find out more about you and what you've got coming? Go to edbegley.com or follow me at on Twitter, just look under Ed Begley. You see the one with the blue check, the certified one. That's me, Ed Begley Jr. for Junior. And uh, yeah, edbegley.com or on Twitter. That's where you get most of your, you know, where is he this week kind of info. And uh, I've had such a delightful time with you, Kathleen, and with you, Tim. Thank you so much, both we, of you. Definitely. We will definitely link your website and your Twitter in our video description. Thank you. Excellent. And we also want to remind everybody that who's still listening or watching that subscribing is the single most important thing that you can do to help us to in, and continue to get great guests like Ed Begley today and have these great conversations for you to listen to. So if you're watching, please hit that like and subscribe button that should be popping up on your screen any moment now. And it's going to help more than we can ever really tell you. So remember, kids, pop culture, it's all around us. It influences every single part of our lives. So be sure to come back next week. We'll have your fix waiting for you right here on Pop Culture Addicts. Thank you again, Ed. Thank you, Kathleen. Hey, thanks for listening to Pop Culture Addicts. If you're interested in being a guest on a future episode of Pop Culture Addicts, you can reach us on either Instagram or Twitter by using the handle at PCA Pod Show. You can also email us at PCA Pod Show at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Copyright 2021 Pop Culture Addicts. Reference to any specific product or entity mentioned on this podcast does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation of by Pop Culture Addicts or any of its sponsors. The views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity that they represent. If you have any questions about this disclaimer, please contact us via email at pcapodshow at gmail.com.